let's pray and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you again for uh, another day where we can just rest and bask in your, your presence and your love, your forgiveness. Lord, you are just so worthy of our honor, of our respect, of our life. And we just want to give everything to you, surrender it all to you, that we would um, look to you for everything, that we would not be independent, but to trust you and lean on you for everything. And right now, Lord, we come to you just asking that you would teach us, that your word would uh, fill us, and that we would be challenged by what we think, why we think it, and that we would just go to your word and be convicted. So just open our hearts and teach us now. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to start here with a quote by Ravenhill. Again, uh, just to remind you, this, this study, really what I've been doing here in Hebrews, has just been coming from me really taking Daniel Joseph's Hebrews study, and I've gone through it, and I've taken notes, and, and I'm just kind of relaying that. And so I don't want to take credit for you know this. I want him to, to get the credit. But um, I know I have just, I was so blessed by it when I went through it, and that's why I thought, you know, this would be a great study to do. Um, but anyway, Ravenhill, uh, just a, a great, um, I would say, modern day evangelist, kind of a modern day Spurgeon, you might say, or something like that. He said this, uh, dealing, t- talking about Charles Finney. He says, Finney preached 28 nights in a row and never made an altar call. He didn't preach God's love. He preached the wrath of God. He didn't say, you're a nice and good person. God loves you, but hates your sin. He says, God is angry with the wicked every day. He didn't preach love. He preached judgment. He didn't preach mercy. He preached judgment. He didn't preach God's love. He preached God's wrath. He didn't preach heaven. He preached hell. He didn't preach grace. He preached law. And they listened until they were in a state of a most mental exhortion. And finally, the fire of God would break out. There's one thing we need above everything else. It's something we don't talk about these days. We need a mighty avalanche of conviction of sin. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, One of Daniel's messages series that uh, one of my favorites is called, and I'm going to get this wrong, Devil's God's Mercy and the Devil's Grace. It's a great title. But ultimately it's this, and what we see is that God's mercy is a wonderful thing. I mean, it is vital and foundational for Christianity. But, within the churches today, the devil's grace is what's being preached. Ultimately, it's the cheap grace that we've been talking about. And it is what he's describing here. That God loves you, and 
we're, we're constantly talking about how much God loves us and hey, it's okay, you know, you're accepted by God and everything like this, that there's no conviction of sin and I'm not convinced that God is all that accepting. Okay, because the Bible doesn't give us that indication. That's our modern day theology. The Bible seems to have a higher standard than that. And... I know that might even sound like a, a heresy, but I think as we have started in this study, as you're going to continue to see, uh, that it is a heresy to say that, you know, come as you are. God loves you the way you are. There is truth to that. Don't get me wrong. I believe God does love them, but we're, they're not going to be saved if they have the attitude that is not a repentant heart to where they hate sin. They hate their sin. Now, we're all sinners. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they have to be perfect to come to church. But what I'm saying is their heart needs to be right with God. Rather be scared into heaven than lulled in hell? Well, I don't think... Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good phrase. I'd rather be scared into heaven than lulled into hell. But bottom line is... I don't think we're going to get to heaven if we're just scared of hell. We need to love Jesus. And so what happens is, is when we are so scared of hell, we do run to Yeshua Jesus to receive the grace that He has, His mercy, and then our response is living out His, His Word. And so... I think we just have to be careful to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Both are needed, but I would say the church has thrown away the law to the point to where we have nothing but grace, and if we do preach law, it's just this general word of sin. We don't want to be specific about it. We can't say divorce. We can't say abortion. You know, We, we can't say uh, keep the Sabbath. We, we can't say specifics. We just can talk about sin. And that's it. If we will even do that. But typically that's what, what goes on. So anyway, Ravenhill, uh, I, I agree with what he is saying here. And so I say let that conviction happen. And I see that's kind of what was going on here in Hebrews. Now, last week we talked about it's impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift to become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. So, what it's saying, we, we talked about, I, I want to take this same thing but kind of look at the second half of it here, that they're crucifying the Son of God, crucifying Jesus all over again. And they put Him to public disgrace or open shame. What does that mean? And that's kind of what we want to look at here. 1 John 5, verse 14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him in Yeshua, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now notice that right there. If we ask anything according to whose will? His will. In the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel of today, 
we have this thing where we are commanding God and we're telling Him what His will is. If I get cancer, I can command that cancer to go away. I don't agree with that. Because it might be God's will that I have that cancer because my family might become believers through it. Maybe I need that to be brought to repentance. Maybe I need that to, to be humbled. I don't know. All I know is that I can give you example upon example upon example in Scripture of godly people suffering. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I can probably find an example of someone who didn't suffer. So when we say, name it, claim it, and hey, I've got this cancer, so I command you to leave in Jesus' name, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm not going to... Again, can God do that? Absolutely. I don't want to deny the fact that He heals, but I always pray, Lord, if it's Your will, because He knows more than I do. He knows what's best for me. And so... Right, and that is so wrong. Yeah, it, it's not my faith that heals me. Okay, now, do I need that faith? Yes, but it's God's will, and it's, it's God that heals me, not my faith, but God. And I have faith that He can heal, and we see that time and time again in Scripture too. Like I said, I've used that example with Daniel. When Daniel, uh, or when they were uh, thrown into the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it, they didn't, you know command the devil and the fire not to hurt them. They said, God can, but if not, He's still God and we still believe in Him. And that's the attitude that I see Scripture saying, not the American Gospel of today. So, um, And I don't know if any of you watched that on Netflix, the American Gospel, but that's really, in essence, a big part of what they talk about, uh, is this prosperity... Uh, word of faith movement that's out there. So, anyway, um, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. I'm going to just stop there for a moment. What's a, a sin that does not lead to death? There's really kind of two camps here. We see a sin that leads to death and a sin that doesn't lead to death. Okay, it goes on. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Yeah, I'll let you kind of... That's not how I was learned. Yeah, we're going to let you get there in your Scriptures and see so that you can kind of read it. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. What is this? What kind of death are we talking about here? Well, I think eternal life, eternal death, eternal damnation. I suppose you plan on clarifying. Yeah. Well, just kind of highlighting it here. 
He's saying to intercede on behalf of one group, right? But not to intercede on behalf of the other group. Now, don't pray for one group, but do pray for the other group. What he's doing here, and this is a thing, if you guys really want to understand the New Testament, you need to understand the Old Testament. Okay, he is taking us back to the prophets here. This isn't a new thing. This is something that is in the Old Testament. And when you really start studying the New Testament, you will see, and this is what just blows my mind, is how so many Christians today want to say that the Old Testament is null and void and it's this obsolete covenant and all of that. Everything, and I mean almost every other phrase that is in the New Testament, is coming from the Old Testament. So if you want to get rid of the Old Testament, how can you understand the New Testament? If all Paul ever is doing is quoting the Old to explain Yeshua. What did Yeshua do on the road to Emmaus? He reasoned with them from the law and the prophets, those things concerning himself. Okay, They didn't have the New Testament in the New Testament. Right by which they were spreading the gospel. They were spreading the gospel through the Old Testament. Right, he wasn't saying, believe in me. Right. Because I'm going to die for your sins. He was proving that Yeshua was the Messiah prophesied about in the Old Testament. And they are always, and all these commands that we see in the New Testament telling us to do something or not to do something, that wasn't all of a sudden a new thing that was coming into Paul's mind. He is just regurgitating the Old Testament. And yet today, when we use the Old Testament to tell people that they should do this or not do that, well, that's the law, that's legalism. Well, then you've got to get rid of Paul, who wrote almost all of the New Testament. Okay? So, let's go back to the Old Testament here. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16. Really, this is the same thing John is saying you are not to be praying for the willfully disobedient. He says this, Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Okay, Jeremiah 11 verse 14 says, So do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. If God won't hear you, you know what that means? You're lost. People would always say out on the street, you know, I've had people say, I just feel like God's not listening to my prayers. And I said, well, maybe he's not. And uh, you want to see ugly looks. <laughs> Tell somebody that. But this is exactly what David prayed. Is it Psalm 16, 33? Maybe I don't know. But he, he says that if I held iniquity in my heart, God would not have listened to my prayers. Not if I have sinned. Because David had sinned. But he said, if I hold iniquity in my heart, in other words, willfully sinning, if I held iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. Proverbs 28.9 says this. It says that 
Um, if anyone turns a deaf ear to God's law, even his prayers are detestable. So you turn a deaf ear to God's law, your prayers are not just not being listened to, but they're detestable. So this is consistent message that we're seeing throughout the scriptures. It's, it's not just here in Hebrews or John. So, so it's a do not pray for people who will listen. So I know people that mm. tell them about Jesus and they just say, well, that's okay for you, but we just, you know, I'm just not, gonna, I just don't see things that way. So is that a willful sin that you give up on them or do you pray for them to see the light? Yeah, <laughs> and that's a good question. Like that. that's why what I, does it mean not to pray for them for? As an yeah. example, yeah. I have a practicing uh, homosexual for a brother. I was going to say a practicing brother. <laughs> he, he's openly gay and unrepentant in every way, shape, and form. Proud of his lifestyle. But yet he claims to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay? I think that's, that's probably the important part for this. 1 Corinthians 5 says this, If anyone calls himself a brother, now that doesn't mean blood brother, but Christian, if anyone calls himself a Christian, I will paraphrase, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an adulterer, and a whole list of sins, it says, with such a man, do not even eat. So if there's somebody calling themselves a Christian, but they're out there and they're partying all the time, and they're caught up in pornography, and they're not even sorry about it, we're not even supposed to eat with that person. Now, if they're caught up in pornography and they hate it, and you know that's different. We're talking again about willful sin, and that's what First Corinthians five is talking about. But what if you have a nice person that just denies the fact that Jesus did anything, or you're, you're God not, loves everybody? There's a lot of different ways to get to him. You're not talking about a brother. No, no, but I, yeah. is it okay to well, pray for them? Or are they are they gone? Because that's not who we're talking about. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key because when it says here in Jeremiah, do not pray for this people, who are who is this people? The nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Okay? It was those who had rejected God at that time. They are the ones that 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about. If anyone calls himself a brother, calling himself a Christian, calling himself, you know, a child of God, but is willfully disobedient, you're not supposed to be praying for them anymore. You know what you're supposed to do? kick them out of the church. Church discipline, that's something that is not practiced very well or often in churches today. But it is something that is supposed to be done. Paul says this as well, hand this man over to Satan so that his soul may be saved on the last day. And so, in essence, going back to scaring the hell out of people. And... Nobody's kicked my brother out of church because he finds a church that will accept homosexuality. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And and that's why I practice church discipline within my own family that way because this is what God's word says. For years and years, I had so many people telling me, "Oh, you just got to keep the keep the communication lines open." I mean, probably. I don't know how old I was, probably 17, 18. Well, I don't know when it was that I found out that he was a homosexual, but probably for five, six years, we'd talk on the phone every day. Had a great relationship with him. 
But I was reading that in Samuel, the story of Eli, and how Eli's sons were sleeping with women at the tent of meeting. And the people come to Eli and said, your sons are doing this terrible thing. And Eli goes to his sons and says, you're doing a terrible thing. Stop it. And then that's it. And then life goes on. Well, that's exactly what I did with Tom. Tom, you've got to stop this. This is wrong. This is sinful. I'd give him books to read. He'd give me stuff to read. And, and finally got to the point where he wouldn't listen to me anymore. And just, just he'd throw it in the trash. Which I think is another key part here. You know, Matthew talks about that. That if, uh, you know, to practice church discipline, you go to the person. Okay, if he refuses to listen, then you, you, you go with other people. And then if they're still refusing to listen, then you kick them out. Now, with my brother, that's what happened. I, I talked, he was listening, fine. Then he refused to listen. And he refused to listen to my other brothers. And all the pastors would always tell me, keep the communication lines open. But nobody ever gave me a scripture verse that said that. Not a one. But I was seeing God coming to Samuel and say, you go tell Eli that because he considered his sons more holy than me, that I'm going to tear the priesthood out of his hands forever. That there were consequences to that. Eli wasn't supposed to just say, hey, don't do this. He was supposed to kick them out. They weren't supposed to be there anymore. And so there are consequences when we as a church don't practice church discipline for the rest of us. I believe there would be a consequence for my family and for me if I didn't do what God has asked me to do, just like any other sin. And so I wrote him a letter years and years ago and said, here's the story of Eli, here's 1 Corinthians 5 saying I'm not even supposed to eat with you, I love you. I absolutely love you. And if you are willing to talk and be open that this could be a sinful lifestyle again, I'm here and I always will be. But I cannot continue to chum around and I'm not going to allow my children to be around you and you're not going to be coming to my home. Because as much as it pains me to do it, I have to obey God. And of course, he saw that as the most hate-filled letter that he'd ever had and seen and you know, and, and that man, he, he despises me. He despises me more than uh, I think I've ever despised anybody in my life. And yeah, and even as of recently, as a, a funeral, um, I was nothing but kind to him. Didn't bring up any topics, didn't do anything. But he absolutely hated me. And my brother, uh, Steve, even said, you know, he, he said, you got the greatest compliment. And I said, what's that? And he said, Tom absolutely despises you. And he said, it showed me what a spiritual battle this was. He says, because you were nothing but kind. When, you were talk when we were talking politics, you didn't say a word. You were quiet. And he said, he hates you. And he says, if this isn't, he says, if that doesn't show me what a spiritual battle this is, he says, I don't know what does. I haven't seen him repent yet, and I may never get to, but I can tell you this, I believe that that has been a covering for my family in doing obedient, being obedient to what God's Word says. Now, 
I'm sure you guys have family members, friends, whatever, who are homosexuals. Okay, Maybe even children. I don't know. Bottom line, though, I'm not telling you that this is what you have to do. You need to go to God's Word, but there are steps. Just because somebody's gay doesn't mean, okay, you're out. There are steps. You talk with them. Don't ignore the issue. Talk with them. Okay? It's when they are no longer willing to listen, then yeah, then things need to get stepped up a notch. After, you know, so don't get me wrong and say, all right, if somebody's a homosexual, just go and boot them out. That's not what I'm saying. But there are steps involved. But the key, like Jordan's saying here, with these, are these are people who are claiming to be Christian, and that's what my brother was doing as well. Maybe there's somebody that's a homosexual not claiming to be a Christian. That, that's another, a whole different thing. Okay? So we, we have to take the whole context. Um, so, question. Yeah. I still can't, like, it's hard to swallow that you, it says, don't pray for them. Because yeah. like, then do you just, like, hope that, I mean, you don't pray, and you just hope that God maybe gets through to them before the end? Like, I don't know. That's just yeah, really hard I, I think, to, you know, I still pray for my brother Tom, but what I pray is, Lord, bring him to repentance. I'm not praying blessings in his life. I don't even yeah, pray for protection. Okay. I was going to say, because yeah. I don't understand why you wouldn't still pray that, like, there would yeah. be repentance or, like, a turning. And I think what, you know, I don't pray for the well-being, the physical well-being of my brother. And I think that's what Jeremiah is saying here, too, is don't pray for these people to be blessed in their physical well-being. Don't pray that the Babylonians aren't going to come and conquer them because I want the Babylonians to come and conquer them because I'm going to humble them. Yeah. Later on in Jeremiah 14, verse 11, and this is a footnote, um, 1 John Are you getting what it yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, that's good. I just had, okay. it was the next slide. I'm glad you saw good it. Good job. Keep going. Man. Keep going. Just, you two always are like, put how <laughs> it says, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear the cry. Yep. And so that is the answer. It is for their good. The yeah. Yeah. But they can still repent. Yep. Okay. So I still pray for my brother to be brought to repentance. But here's the thing. Uh, yesterday at the river, I was teaching on spiritual warfare. And I used the example here that... Jeremiah comes to the Babylonians and he says, you are not to um, uh, fight the Babylonians, you're to surrender. He, he comes to Israel and says, you're to surrender. If you surrender to them, you will live. If you don't, you will die. And he says this more than once to them. Now you have to understand that what was going on here in the days of Jeremiah is that the when the Babylonians are coming, the Assyrians had already come and taken the ten northern tribes away, scattered them. They'd seen, and the Assyrians were brutal people. I mean, absolutely brutal. I mean, they would do terrible torture to these people. Well, now the Babylonians are coming, and they are in trouble. And they know that their freedom is at stake, their children are at stake, their material possessions are at stake, and Here's a guy, a prophet, coming and saying, surrender to them. Give up your freedom. Lay it down. Lay down your possessions. 
And not only that, but you're going to give them to a pagan culture. Do you think that would sound a little unpatriotic? Yeah, quite unpatriotic. This would not be an easy pill for them to swallow, which is why they wouldn't swallow it. And as a result, the Babylonians come and most of them end up you know, dying, or, or Zedekiah, the king, they kill his sons in front of him, and then they poke his eyes out so that the very last thing that he got to see was his children being killed, the last image that would be in his mind. I mean, this was how bad it was. And I kind of took that and I related it to our country. I have a hard time saying, God bless America. I don't think we deserve God's blessing. I think that we are at the point of what Jeremiah was telling them. And it may sound very unpatriotic for me to say that, but what our country needs is we need to be humbled. God is, I think, going to allow us to fall, not because He's an evil God, but because He's a loving God. He desires that none should perish, and it's the only thing that we're going to listen to. And so, it isn't God bless America. I think we are going to be under God's wrath, and I don't, I don't, I'm even having a hard time praying that our country doesn't fall. Now, I know that might even sound a little like Black Lives Matter, Antifa kind of thing. I'm not there, okay? That's not what I'm saying either, is I want the destruction. I'm certainly not going to move for the destruction of this country. But I'll tell you this, that the church, why would God bless this country? I think that we have had some Christian grassroots that have been here for a long, long time. And God has blessed us because of that. He's protected us because of that. But now what I see going on in the churches, I think that's why there are studies like this going on because where do we find it in church? We don't. Wasn't it Billy Graham that said if he doesn't punish America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, yeah I think it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that was then, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so for us to be so arrogant to think that we don't deserve God's judgment I think is pretty foolish like I said I don't want the country to fall that's what Antifa and these other ones they want it to fall I don't want it to fall but I don't know if I can pray that God spares us because I don't feel like we deserve it well it's going to happen but again, yeah, is it because, you know, it's First Chronicles 7, First or Second Chronicles, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent, you know, yeah, this is the, what we need to do. And it may start with just a small group of people like this. I, my gut feeling is I think we may be there. There's there's a very good possibility. That's where they were here at this time when God is coming to Jeremiah and he's saying, you don't pray for their good anymore because, listen, it's time for wrath. And it's not out of hate. It's out of love for the people. Just like when I spanked my kids, it wasn't because I hated them. It was because I was trying to discipline them for their own good. And we can't... <laughs> 
Well, and that was one of the things yesterday's message in talking about it was whose battle are we fighting? Because we see that David was a mighty warrior. Why was he a mighty warrior? Abigail tells us why. Because you fight the Lord's battles. David didn't go and fight against Saul. Saul wanted to kill him all the time. If that was me, I would have fought my own battle and I'd have gotten rid of Saul. I had opportunity, right? But he only fought the Lord's battles. When God told him to fight, that's when he fought. And we see that in other cases that I used yesterday out of the Old Testament as well. And so, likewise today, I think when we're stocking up ammo and guns and food, that's our battle. But God's battle is for us to be fighting in the spiritual realm where we should be praising God even when the world is falling apart. We should be down on our knees praying fervently, not just this every now and then while I'm going and doing my dishes or I'm out cutting wood or whatever. Dark room, prayer room, knees, fervent prayer. And not for 30 seconds. I think we should be fasting. I think that we should be so laser focused on God right now. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not wise to have ammo, food, whatever. I, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I've got those things. Why? Because I think it's just worldly wisdom. But my confidence is not in those things. My confidence is in the Lord. Even while the world is falling apart, my confidence will remain and stay in Him. And that's the key, that we're fighting God's battles, not ours. So what do we do? Focus on the Lord's battles. I think, yes, go ahead and, and be wise. Don't be spending all your money right now. You know, don't be uh, putting your trust in, in your wisdom. Yeah. I feel like you need to spend your money right now because it's not going to be worth anything pretty soon. <laughs> well, that may be true too. Stock so. up on used cars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, let me tell you, honey. Yeah, that was good. So, anyway, um, continuing on here, this is what he's talking about, and, and Logan found that, thankfully, too. I, this is where we were headed. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. You see, there's a time that's coming when these people, when the world does start falling apart, it's too late. It's the last hour kind of thing. Now, that doesn't mean if they truly do humble themselves, but I think a lot of times when this happens, we see it happen to non-Christians all the time. Something bad happens, and okay, now they're in church for the next three weeks, and then you never see them again until the next problem comes. That's not genuine repentance. And I'm not going to point fingers at who is and who isn't genuinely repenting. But nonetheless, what we're talking about here are those that are willfully disobedient. And we are not to pray for their well-being. And I have to ask, are we there in this country? So, so. is this what we're talking about with the sin that leads to death and the sins that don't? Or is this going to tie back into that? Yeah, it will tie back into it. But the other thing is, keep in mind who he's talking to here. These are the people 
who are the church-going, sacrifice-offering, you know, Israelite, walking-with-God people that Jeremiah is talking to. It also says, and I can't remember where this is, maybe somebody can help me, but it says judgment begins in the house of God. When judgment comes, it's coming to the church first. Then it goes to the world. And we see some examples of that in the Old Testament too, but I'm not going to go there right now. It's time for the church to wake up. And that's honestly, guys, one reason why I'm being motivated to, to start this Saturday thing going on because I want to follow God. I want to follow Him with my whole heart and I want to obey Him. Not to earn many, any salvation, but to follow Him. Period. Because I love Him. And I'm going to seek Him with all I have. That's what I'm called to do. These people here are the same ones that Matthew talks about when he says, you know, those are going to come before him on the last day. Lord, Lord, we perform miracles in your name. We cast out demons. And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. These are people in the church. Dare I say that, you know, some of these name it, claim it churches that we've talked about that are out there casting out demons and seeing miracles and you know trying to heal people and make their legs get longer and you know whatever and god says listen you're a worker of iniquity what's a worker of iniquity somebody who lives in sin disobeys god's law i mean i've said this many times before but what is you know, the, the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness, Thessalonians calls him. Lawlessness. I, I, I think the Antichrist could be in almost any one of most churches today. Because churches are lawless. We have this cheap grace. Jesus loves you. Come as you are. It's okay. We love you. God loves you. Just you, don't worry. You know, I know you're struggling. It'll come around. Whatever. There is no call for true conviction. There's no um, true repentance. We have lived so long in America without really holding churches to doctrinal accountability that it's just everybody and anybody's out there starting churches, mega churches, writing books of how to do it, following books how to do it, you know, following business models how to build a church, whatever. That is not. That's the kind of people Jeremiah was dealing with. That's the kind of people Matthew talks about or Jesus, you know, Lord, Lord. And this whole social justice thing they're ignorant of what is really going on, and it is an anti-gospel thing that they are doing. They don't understand. And these are the people that are why the church is in trouble. There's no question. Um, there's a number of things that you can find on Facebook. I, I sent, I think you saw it too, the, what was that, or my, all, why are my friends Marxist or whatever that was called? Who, who put that out? I can't remember. Uh, like, like on 
John Harris? Matter. That guy. What? Why conversations matter? Why conversations, conversations matter? That matter? Yeah. That podcast. John Harris. So maybe look him up too, because he has a really good YouTube thing on that too. But anyway, um, this is scary because it's not just a church; it's a confident church. It's people that are confident that they're on the right side, but they're confident not based on scripture, at least scripture in context. They're confident with their own emotions, their own political views, their own whatever. Uh, Jeremiah 8.4 says, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. This is, I think, the same thing Hebrews was saying. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. It says these a perpetual backsliding. Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? They knew the truth and they walked away from it. So, again, we just read that in Hebrews. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Okay, And now we're reading here in Jeremiah saying basically the exact same thing. You see how that old and the new, they, they fit together like this? They refuse to return. Verse The end of verse 5 there. They refuse to repent, basically. What happens when you refuse to repent? God will not hear your prayer. So, these people want it comfortable, ultimately. We want it comfortable. We don't want our feathers ruffled. We don't, we don't want to talk about it either because I, I know, and that was the thing that I talked about yesterday, was everybody knows this is coming. Why do we have you know all the bunker shows, uh, the survivalist things that are so popular? Why do we have gun sales skyrocketing? You know, 2015, Obama sold more guns than anybody else prior to that in history. And now again, COVID has sold so many. Why? Why is the Postal Service, why did they buy millions of, of I think it was 9mm ammunition? Really? Mm-hmm. Are the dogs that bad? For the, I mean... Is the mail that important? Yeah. <laughs> is the mail yeah. that important? Yeah. Everybody knows it's coming. But we don't want to face it. Everybody feels it coming. Yeah. Everybody for a long time. We don't know when, we don't know the day, but we know that we're in the season. And yet just like these people, they want to be they want it comfortable. We do too, so we think that if we ignore it, the problem will go away. No. You're going to be worse off. Don't ignore it. You see, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. You know why what uncomfortable makes you do? 
pray, witness, fast, obey. That's what we call, another word could be conviction. And conviction isn't comfortable. But we need conviction. And I don't, I'm going to look up there for this comfortable. No, it's okay. Yeah, they all know you. My wife is one that would rather ignore it than talk about it. Anyway, Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What I want you to see here as well, this, by the way, is a huge verse that deals with homosexuality. I've dealt with this for years and years. Why are people gay? They're born that way? No. It says right here in Romans, God gave them over. First of all, in the first part, it says that uh, they uh, deny God as creator, and it kind of touches on that here as well. And it says because they denied God as creator, there the next three paragraphs say, therefore, because of this, this is the therefore paragraph. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations for unnatural ones. Okay? So, it's, and it goes on to say, and they received the due penalty for their perversion, too, by the way. So the Bible calls homosexuality in the New Testament a perversion, and it says why people are gay. God gave them over to it. Just like here. Therefore, God gave them up. There is a time when God says, my hand of protection is done. Okay, Not his love, but he's, you, you guys have been wanting to do this on your own. You, you've wanted this desire yourself. I'll tell you what. I'll step away and we'll let you handle it. We'll see how well it works out for you. He will give us over to our own desires to see how well we do on our own. That's where what this is happening, ultimately. But that's also talking about unbelievers, correct? Um, where he takes the hand of protection. I mean, if you're following him and truly seeking him. I, I think both. I think both, because... Like here even it says who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And it also says, I, I don't somewhere either before or after this, I don't can't quite get it there, but it says, For although they knew God, they neither worshipped him as God nor did they give thanks to him. Was right before. Right before. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's both, that this applies to both. But again, this is what Hebrews is saying. Do not pray for these people. Going on in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use, here it was, for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving, or in receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do those things which are not fitting. This kind of behavior is debase. And yet, it's paraded on TV and literally in the parades in town. And even in churches. Yeah, even churches. It's just, again, why would God bless America? When this is what we are doing. You can't tell me the church deserves for Him to protect us when we're not standing against homosexuality just because we've got a nice friend who's a homosexual. I don't care if they're nice. Turn, you know, don't accept their homosexuality. Let's see how nice they are. Okay? If you really love them, you will warn them that they are on a path of destruction and hell. If my child was a meth addict, would I just, well, it's who they are. I'm going to accept them for who they are. No. I am going to discipline. Remove them from my home, possibly, too. Why? Because I love them. And I'm, going to, I'm trying to get them off of that sin. It's no different for any other sin. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. How many times have we heard that? Okay, I mean that verse has been quoted time and time again. But what is the knowledge that he is talking about? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me. That's as far as we ever get with that verse. It continues to say, because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So what's the knowledge that he is talking about? Knowledge of God's law. I'll bet that you couldn't probably get 10% of the church today who could name the Ten Commandments. I don't know. I'm making up numbers there, but... It's just my, my guess. My people, not the pagans, not the world, my people, they will be rejected forever. Can you see why the law is so critical and important? And, and I can go over and over and over verses that tell you the value of the law because the law t teaches you to fear the Lord your God and it gives you knowledge and understanding, wisdom. I mean, read Psalm 119. Meditate on that psalm over and over and over the value of the law of God. And it's just taken away in our society today. Deuteronomy 8.10 When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. See, when things are going good, it's easy to forget God. To become lax. Complacent. And I, I think that that's the church today. We haven't preached the law, and we are so complacent. And... Therefore, we don't obey, we don't seek Him, 
We just kind of go on Sunday and we go to hopefully feel better about ourselves so that I receive a blessing. Going to church isn't about me getting a blessing. It's about me getting God worship. But today, most churches, it's about what, what do I get out of this? And we even have all so many churches out there hiring these survey, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, fix-it church kind of things that, so that we can send out these surveys to find out what are, you know, we you survey, yeah, what do you want? A Burger King church, have it your way. Right? What do you want to see? No, this is not church. This isn't what I want. It's what God wants, period. It doesn't matter what I want. As a matter of fact, what I want maybe isn't what God wants, and so I should be rebuked for that. Deuteronomy 6.20 When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Okay, that's basically what I'm saying now. What's the meaning of the law? Why is this so important? The answer is in the very next verse. Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now that's interesting. I would say, if you would go to 90% of the people in the church, again, I'm once more making up numbers, but I'm guessing 90% of the church, if you go ask them, what's the purpose of the law of God? Scripture isn't going to come to mind. Just what they've taught will come to mind. In essence, what we're, we're kind of changing gears slightly here, we're, I want you to see that the law is a result of grace. When your children ask you, what's the meaning of all these laws? You're to tell them, well, God saved me. God saved us out of Egypt, and therefore, after He saved us out of Egypt, you know the whole Passover, the picture of Christ, the Lamb, all of that? After He saved me, He took us and He gave us these commandments so that we would have no fun in life ever again. No, not that at all. But that's how it's viewed today. He gave these commandments because they are good to, uh, so that they would fear God. Why is that a good thing? Because then they will not get captured by the Babylonians. They're not going to have social justice coming into their country. They're not going to have homosexuality running abound and, and, and then have to be destroyed. Okay, it, I think this is a foundational question. This is why we obey. Not because I'm trying to earn my salvation and getting into heaven. Not at all. But because God saved me and He loved me enough to give me guidance in life. Just like as a father, I give my children guidance not to be a killjoy, but because I love them and I want them to be safe. I want them to be protected. I want them to succeed. And without those commands that I give my children, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to be spoiled brats. Same thing. Go ahead. The Red Sea, bringing them out of Egypt, it's like everywhere in the Bible. I mean, the reference to it is everywhere in the Bible. Like, you yep. know, just to read through the Bible in a year, it's like, there it is again. 
there it is again. There it is again. It yeah, about it's, it over and over and over and over. <laughs> it, it's almost like the Old Testament cross. <laughs> yes. It's the Old Testament deliverance. And that's why it's talked about over and over and over again. Because that's what it was a picture of. Deuteronomy 6.22, The Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Not for your harm, but for your good that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, that it will be righteousness for us. Not that the law saved you, but the law drives you to God, and God is your righteousness. If you are lawless, you become godless, which means you become unrighteous. Because God is our righteousness, not my obeying the law. That doesn't ever make me righteous. If we are careful to observe all these commandments before our Lord, before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us. Again, so why do we do this? Because of God's mercy and because He says so. That's pretty simple, I think. You know, Jesus, God, is our righteousness. As He, uh, you know, he kept the law where we couldn't. And so I want you to picture it that way too. Can I obey the law? No. I, I'm going to break it. I, I do all the time. But Jesus fulfilled it for me. Now, fulfill doesn't mean, okay, he did it so now it's gone. Fulfill means where I failed, he picked it up and did it for me. So that every time I fail, I'm still covered. Because He is my righteousness. He is the law of God, by the way, too. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is the law of God. Jesus is the law. And so, Jesus is my righteousness. He is my cover for every time I'm unable to keep the law. That's why my salvation can never be done by me keeping the law, because I can't do it. I need to rely on His righteousness. I keep the law for my own good. Because He is my righteousness, I keep the law. But we're not teaching that anymore. And he, otherwise, we, we fall back on cheap grace without the law. That's what happens. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17, You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or, or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Like you said, it's everywhere. Once again, because I saved you, because I am your righteousness, therefore, obey me. Okay? It's because He showed us mercy that we do this. 
Deuteronomy 5.12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why do we keep the Sabbath? Because He delivered us. Because Jesus is my righteousness. We respond. Just like in the New Testament, Jesus said, If you love me, you will do what I say. It's a whole different perspective of the law than what we often have in the church today. But this is the perspective the Bible gives over and over and over and over and over again. Going back to Ravenhill, he says this, when there's something in the Bible that the churches don't like, they call it legalism. Yeah, that is so true. It's so easy to just, oh, well, that's a legalistic group over there. Oh, he's caught up in legalism. Why? Because they want to obey God. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that there are some people who can be caught up in legalism because they are trying to be a uh, more saved Christian. Maybe say, I'm a better Christian than this guy because I keep the law more than this guy does. Okay, that's wrong, and that is true definition of legalism. But loving God and therefore obeying Him is not legalism. Jeremiah 6.10 to whom shall I speak and give warning, that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. That's what Ravenhill was talking about. We give the law as warning, and they will have no delight in it. They'll just call it legalism. Basically, take the law and turn it into a negative thing rather than turning it into a positive thing that the Bible throughout the Old Testament makes it. It is a positive thing. But the church has made it scary and negative. But it isn't. And how can we give warning? I mean, is cheap grace... Do we really give warning with the cheap grace that's you know so profound in churches today? No. The law is what does that. And they have no delight in it. Galatians 2.17 But if while we seek yet to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. In other words, what it's saying is, if I'm a Christian and I'm claiming the, the forgiveness of Jesus, yet I'm continuing to be found a sinner, there's something wrong. Is, is Christ a minister of sin? Is that what Christ came to do so that you could keep on sinning? No, certainly not. That's not what Christ came to do. This is a verse that basically you could paraphrase it in the New Living Translation and say that is Christ cheap grace? Certainly not. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. Well, it's okay. You know, God will forgive me. It's all right. I'm, I'm good because Jesus loves me. I said a prayer when I was six. Certainly not. 
No, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What sin? Disobedience to the law. Lawlessness. It's that simple. That's what sin is. The Bible defines it that way. Don't you know that if all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? If we're taking the name of Jesus on our lips, we should not willfully continue to sin. We will sin. But we should not willfully Anyway, uh, Romans here were baptized into his death. I, I think basically saying because of his mercy, we can't do that anymore. We just can't. Um, trying to wrap up here. Second Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Okay, so I've shown you the Old Testament. Now I'm looking at the New Testament over and over and over and over again saying, we're not supposed to live in sin anymore. We can't keep this cheap grace going. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So what did the grace... The grace came first, just like in Egypt, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. The grace comes, therefore, we should live soberly, we should not be godless, we should obey. 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Um, Hebrews 6, 7 here. For the earth, kind of the next verse, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But, if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Basically, if you look at this, this is almost like a parable in a sense. All right? The earth are the believers. The rain is the Holy Spirit. And the herbs are the fruit of the people, the good works that they do. So it's saying what he has already said in earlier verses here in Hebrews, but just in a different way. If one takes in the Spirit and produces fruit, and then later bears bad fruit, he's going to be rejected. Earlier he said it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, shared in the Holy Spirit, just like this, if you're, as you as a believer are producing, you've tasted the fruit, you've got all of those good things, and then you fall away, it's impossible for them to repent, to come back to Christ. And here it says, they're going to be burned, they're going to be rejected. So it's the exact same thing he said in the verse before. He's just saying it in a different way. That makes sense? There's a consistency. Matthew 7.15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Okay? 
It, it, it's so simple and clear. How do we judge their fruits? The law of God. Oh, you can't. That's legalism. That's legalism. Oh. Well then, what? how do I judge their fruit if I don't use the law to do so? Because it's the law of God that tells me what's right and what's wrong. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. In essence, true believers aren't going to have bad fruit. Now, again, I've had bad fruit, and I will continue to have some bad fruit, but it's not going to be willful bad fruit. It's, it's just, you know, that's the human nature. We, we're going to be sinners, but you know what I'm saying here. Going back to the beginning, it's, it's this willful sin that he's talking about. Beware of these people in the church, because these are the ones that are the false prophets. Last one, Proverbs 11, verse 30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Just more wisdom there. I'm going to let that one speak for itself. But going back full circle then, what is he saying? There is a sin that leads to death. It's that willful sin. It's that willful disobedience, that willful rejecting the law of God, and that leads to death. But then there's a sin that does not lead to death. The, those sins that I commit that are not willful. And why doesn't it lead to death? Because Yeshua has covered them with His blood for me. And so, He's saying that, yes, while you're in this tent, this flesh, you will make mistakes, but by grace you have been saved. Not by works so that any man can boast. But, don't get into that cheap grace, because I'll tell you, there is a sin that will lead to death. Same sin you do, that won't kill you, this guy over here can do, but it will kill him because he he's not repentant, he's not sorry. That's basically what it is. What's in your heart? Okay. Any last comments or thoughts? I don't know where, I don't have my phone to Google search quickly, and I don't know where it is exactly, but somewhere is it, I think Paul write about like that if we have a brother who's backslidden and we are in some way to be able to bring them back to repentance, like how, I guess, how would you tie some of that, maybe I'm misquoting or not remembering exactly. Yeah, I think... I'm not 100% sure, but I think it might be in that same 1 Corinthians 5 area. Um, but if not, I know that there was the one guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law or something like that, and they excommunicated him, and then later he had repented. Okay, And I think this was a man who was living in sin, maybe willful, but when confronted was like, yeah, that's right. I've been sinning, and he was repentant. Therefore, it was a sin that did not lead to death. And he was, Paul encourages them, bring this man back into the fold now. And so there is that aspect of it that, you know, we, we can be brought back into the fold when we are repentant of that sin 
when we are confronted with it. And there was that verse that talked about, you know, those that do not delight in it, those who, you know, rebuke a mocker, and, and he will, you know, scoff at you or whatever. I can't remember how that's worded in Proverbs. But rebuke a righteous man, and he will welcome it. So, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so do you tie, I guess, some of this, like, you talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being the only non-repentant, like, the only sin without, is that, I guess, like, I see a lot of that in some of the things that you're talking about. I mean, if we're yeah. willing to acknowledge the Spirit's work and conviction in our life and repent of that, I mean, yeah, we're going to, if we slip up from time to time when we turn, I mean, we see David in his heart, you know, turn to repentance and that type of thing, then we're not, I guess, you know, I think so, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the roles, is it John that talks about, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has come and one of the reasons is to convict of sin. That that's what the Spirit does, through the Word even. And so, we are when we're convicted of sin, if we are not convicted of sin, and people are saying, hey, the, the Bible says this, this is wrong. For example, I think my, my brother is in that boat. He has been confronted that this is sin, shown it's sin so many times, but he has seared his conscience, as Timothy says, as with a, a hot iron, so that he, he has no, no shame, but rather only pride. And I think that is a blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The hard thing is, when you have a person that's not really a sinful person, I mean, they're basically a good person. My sister, she's a nice, giving person. She just denies that Jesus is the way. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, like, to my face. I was like, you know, no, that's good for you, but, you know, yeah. there's a lot of different ways, and so-and-so, and blah, blah. So, but you can still keep praying for them, I guess, but, yeah. Yeah, it, honestly, they're in the same boat that the very ungodly person is. Yeah, they might be nice people, and I know people like that too, but they are in the same boat of eternal damnation. The difference would be this. Um, and I won't get into it too much, but there are degrees of glory and degrees of punishment in hell. Oh. We see, even like John the Baptist, you know, he said those, those who are least in the kingdom of heaven, okay, well, that, who's the greatest then? We see in Revelation 20 that there are rewards given. I've heard of it this way, but not this way. Yes, yeah, <laughs> th there are rewards this way, but in Revelation 20 it says that there are books that are opened to judge. There's the book of life, okay? So when that's opened up, the book of life is open. Your name in it, great, you get to go to heaven. And then your deeds are recorded. Not your bad ones, only your good ones. So your good ones, you know, add up. But there are no bad ones, Jesus took care of that. But then these other books, why does it say books, plural? Well, I can't remember where in the Old Testament, but it talks about there's the, the books of uh, your, your deeds and all of that. There, I can't remember how it goes. In my book on Revelation, I have it, but there's a number of things where the Old Testament references that type of thing. And so we see in the parables where there will be those who are beaten with many blows and those that are beaten with few blows. That kind of thing. Um, so there are other examples, but just to kind of give you that idea, that I do think that those, they're still going to hell and that is still going to be 
the hell. That's right. But there are those that I think are going to receive many blows that are the more evil ones. All over in the Old Testament it talks about, and the rest of their deeds are reported in the book of the kings of the whatever. Yeah. It's like, is there ever one of those? I mean, is there such one of those still today? Well, <laughs> we don't. Yeah, we yeah, don't have yeah, them all. No, <laughs> Jasher is one that's mentioned. Oh, so Jasher is one of the. Jasher is mentioned in Scripture. We have Enoch is mentioned in the New Testament, um, but we don't have all of those things. The other thing is, is, is the book of Jasher that we have the, book of the one that they're talking about? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But there are some... They are, but you know, I, I have yet to find anything unbiblical in the book of Enoch. So, uh, it's weird. Very spiritual. But... Um, it's it's interesting. That's why I like that that Sefer book has all of those in yeah. there, and it is very interesting to read like the book of Jasher as an example because it p patterns these things. Ezra's will also just parallel like you're reading scripture, but it, you might just get a little extra detail somewhere here or there. So, well, let's close in prayer. My family just sits up there and just. Uh, Actually, that's to, to go turn the water off in the pool for you. <laughs> that's what we we're trying to decide. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Oh God, you are so good to us. We do not deserve it. We are not worthy of the grace and mercy that you have poured out on us. And Father, I don't know if it's the time not to pray for this country, but I know that in my heart I see the churches and that we have become apostate in so many ways, so few godly pastors that are truly standing on your word. And all I can pray, Lord, is that you just bring us to repentance, whether that be through trials and tribulations or whether it be preferably through you raising people up, letting us have that fear of God, letting us feel that conviction that we would do as you have said, humble ourselves, call on you, repent, fast, pray, and just seek you, and that more and more believers would do that very thing. So Lord, I, I pray for this group. I thank you for bringing them here and I just ask that you would continue to speak into their spirits that you would, uh, as we are a body of Christ, we, we, we are all needed and we all have value to this body, that you would begin to instill in them uh, whatever part of that body that they are, that they would be used to build up the body of Christ. And so thank you for this evening, and may you just keep us safe as we travel home now. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.